Chris Tire Information Whiskey, 2153 Zulu. Wind, 060 at 5. Seriously, it's Mike Juliet, this is Archer Radar Contact. Hazardous weather information from Minnesota available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast. Connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we're joined by John Zimmerman, president of Sporty's Pilot Shop. He'll discuss with us the history of the company, how he got involved with them, and what Sporty's has in store for the future. And as always, news and events from around the region with some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in and let's take off into this episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Flying Midwest Podcast. I'm Maddie. I'm a co-host, and I'm joined by Jim, my other co-host. Hi, Maddie. But we are missing one. Yeah, Trevor's been doing a lot of flying in general. As we record right now, he's doing some military flights uh, in the 130s, so he's not able to join us for this episode. So I'm sure he's up there having fun somewhere. And we will carry on, unfortunately, in his absence. And we look forward to seeing him next time. Yeah. So what do you got going on, Maddie? (laughs) Not a whole lot. This last week was spring break for my students and, by extension, me, because nobody scheduled with me. But I did get to fly on my own for the first time since I got hired here in Wichita, Kansas. Very exciting. Well, cool. I need to brush up on my commercial maneuvers. I still need to go up and do more <laughs> of that because they went terribly. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've done it, to be well, fair. Well, I suppose. I mean... My CFI check ride, which was almost two years ago, yeah. was the last time I did them. So, and I'm gaining a little bit of steam gauge experience and getting to fly into char- the Charlie is really fun because, you know, I am in an uncontrolled airport now and it's yeah. boring and scary. And <laughs> But yeah, being, so talking with controllers a lot is, is a lot of fun, so... Yeah, I'm going to hopefully be doing a little bit more of that as the uh, the months progress here. Awesome. Yeah. What have you been up to, Jim? Um, I haven't been flying per se, but um, I was just on spring break with my own family, and we went to Washington, D.C., oh. which, of course, meant the Aerospace Museum. Um, oh. I think I posted something on the social media about we interrupt this family vacation for aviation. So, um, <laughs> Do you see the SR-71? There's an SR-71 so, there. Half of the Air and Space Museum was closed for renovations. No. Yeah, I know. So that all that really means though is I have to go back. That's true. That's true. See, so I flying Midwest I, vacation. We all go to the <laughs> Yeah, we, we all go to the Air and Space Museum. <laughs> anyway. Should we talk about some news and events? I think that's a swell idea. I think so too. So our first story is more of a national story. It's something that has been in the eyes of the media over the last several weeks. 
The FAA has held a safety summit to talk about more and more close calls that are happening um, at airports around the country. Aviation industry leaders and safety experts with the FAA gathered on Wednesday in Virginia to start some dialogue about these near misses, roughly seven of them at U.S. airports. The goal is to identify and address any trends that they notice to help prevent more of these incidents occurring in the future. The acting administrator of the FAA, Bill Nolan, had said that these incidents continue to defy logic. He further said that some of the biggest mistakes we can make as an industry is to become complacent. As a safety professional, if you are comfortable, it probably means you're missing something. Issues such as air traffic control staffing shortages and a backlog in pilot training have been called as possible causes for this issue. They're calling for more robust and consistent training from Congress, uh, which is set to reauthorize the FAA this year in their book. They further had discussed that now is the right time for industry leaders and officials to collaborate and share data about the circumstances of these near misses to improve pilot training and workplace culture. Some further commentary from the summit was that these incidents should really serve as a wake-up call and that far too often the federal government and the air travel industry only really act after lives are lost. So these summits are scheduled to continue again later in the spring, but I think the big takeaway of the story is that these incidents have been very widely publicized, and I personally think it's good to see industry professionals coming together to try to address these issues rather than, you know, maybe seeing that as a onesie-twosie situation, but maybe to come together and try to figure out what the causes of these continuing incidents uh, may be. Yeah, I also think that's good because, yeah, oftentimes reactions are, well, reactive rather than proactive. So like to this extent, it's a little bit different. So um, that is good. I don't know if you have listened to some of the air traffic control clips that have been on the YouTube machine of some of these close calls. And I'm just going to put this out there. I've not listened to all of them. I obviously don't have all of the circumstances. I'm not an investigator with anybody. These are just my personal observations. It seems like some of this is just pilot error readback error or confusion on where they're at in the airport. So it, it feels like there's almost a loss of situational awareness that's occurring in some of these incidents where, kind of like I said, just even, either they're not copying their readback correctly, ATC's not catching that the readback wasn't given correctly, or they completely miss where they're at on the airport and now they're crossing a runway that they think is a different runway causing a conflict. Yeah, it's not the first time this has happened, but it's sure happening a lot. <laughs> It is. And hopefully it's a wake up call just as an industry and even just as general aviation to uh, make sure that we're being mindful of what those calls are and we're copying information down correctly. And if you've got a second person in, in the aircraft with you that knows what's going on, you're just verifying that everyone's on the same page. Right. Now, seeing where the FAA and, and uh, the government will go from here, I'm curious to see where what they find out and what they do about it. Yep. Yeah. That ATC can get it, too. They can, you know, although they're stationary, they may not have a good idea of where everybody is on the airport, you know, if they get distracted right. or whatever. And this, I, we all know that ATC is way overworked and way understaffed right now. That's probably a contributor, but I hope that it doesn't go to, well, ATC is bad and they're doing a bad job because they're not. Right. But when you get fatigued, you know, there's only, there's only so much you can do. Like yeah. so many lives depend on them. So to all... Everybody out there who's listening, who is part of the air traffic control system, thank you. You're doing a great job, and we appreciate you. All right. Onward. Let's talk about some ladies. One specifically, or two, I suppose. So 
Um, here's an article from South Dakota, which I feel like is a state we don't talk about super often. It's um, not. This month of March is Women's History Month. In South Dakota, there have been a, a lot of influential and progressive women that have made a um, lasting mark on the on the state and the aviation industry. So there was actually a pioneer of flight who came from South Dakota. Eleanor Zabel Wilhite, also known as Nellie, um, she paved the way in the South Dakota aviation industry by not only becoming the first deaf woman to earn a pilot's license, but she was also the first female pilot in South Dakota. She was born in 1892 near Box Elder, South Dakota. So she was, again, deaf, but she ended up getting her pilot's license. She didn't uh, serve in World War II, but she was a an office manager. And she was an instructor and inspector of B-19 aircraft propellers, which is cool. And this article goes on to talk about uh, the ladies who are serving at Ellsworth Air Force Base. They talked with uh, Captain Sarah Brandt, who is a B-1 weapons officer and instructor. Um, she says that in their squadron, they have about 37 guys and three girls, which apparently is the most that they've had in the three years she's been there. So she's very excited about that. She goes on to talk about how this branch of the military has helped, uh, has released new policies to diversify and make it a little more inclusive, especially towards women. Things like they're allowed to wear their hair in braids, which if you're a girl, you know that is a very utilitarian hairstyle. Very nice. There's a diff been different uniform changes that have been very helpful in this way. And they can also fly while pregnant now. And actually, as of this article being written, Captain Brant is pregnant with her second child, a little girl. And this little girl is very lucky to have 37 hours in the V1. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> and like, how how neat is that? Imagine uh, having imagine having that like told to you as like a little kid. So very cool. Uh, she says that um, her being a girl doesn't carry a whole lot of weight in her everyday life, especially serving in the military. Although, you know, it, she said it can get a little lonely because having a group of girls is, is nice and there's a, some sort of camaraderie there. But she says she's never felt excluded by her male counterparts. Everybody's top priority is working and executing their mission properly. She does want to mention that she loves her job and she would suggest it to any little kid, especially little girls. That's a wonderful story. Isn't it? Right, as long as we're talking about the military, let's talk about a new bipartisan bill that's been reintroduced in the Senate that is aimed towards getting military veterans their wings. Yeah. Yeah, Go right. on, Jim. Two senators from the Midwest, Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin and John Hoven of North Dakota, have introduced the American Aviator Act of 2023. This builds off a previous initiative called Forces to Flyers. Yes, I saw that program in action, actually, Forces to Flyers. I mm -hmm. Half the people I flew with in Florida were Forces to Flyers. Cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Okay, go on. Sorry. So it builds off the Forces to Flyers research initiative that was a three-year study to research a response to the airline pilot shortage. So one segment of that was to develop flight training programs to provide accelerated training for veterans at various vocational flight schools. The initiative resulted in 32 veterans earning their commercial pilot multi-engine ratings, sending them on a career path towards professional pilots. So the American Aviator Act is somewhat similar program. It would allow the FAA to offer competitive grants to, to supporting flight training programs uh, to bring veterans on board who are not already military pilots. It's meant to ease the financial burden and break down barriers that prevent veterans from pursuing careers in aviation. The act would allocate $5 million annually for the grant program for five years. 
According to language in the bill, the grant funding can be used for flight training, tuition, books, and other various training resources. Veterans can also participate in the program not to just get their private pilot certificate, but to get other additional ratings and certificates such as instrument ratings, multi-engine, commercial, CFI, and more. It's very good. Good yeah. thing. Hey, so what else you got? Well, ever heard of the Women's Aviation Career Symposium? I actually have. Western Michigan University hosted the Women's Aviation Career Symposium, or WACS. This was the fifth rendition of the annual Professional Career Conference, and they held it this last week. This event was originally designed to introduce women to aviation, promote networking, education, and even scholarships. They began in 2018 as a way to alleviate the industry-wide pilot and mechanic shortage, and it's grown steadily over the last five years. Um, it's a great place to network and a great way for women to come in and experience all kinds of different careers in aviation, not just airlines, because that's what most people think of. Being a mechanic, um, all kinds of different careers that are out there, because there were a lot. It was attended by more than 300 people, including 50 companies with exhibit booths, which is pretty cool. The event is for women from high school juniors to retirees, so whole range of people. It's anybody who's in aviation, just starting or even interested in the very slightest bit. Um, it's just kind of an exploratory thing. WAX offered scholarships to 20 women for aviation education, professional development, flight training, and maintenance training, which is really cool. Um, in the last couple of years, the event has actually become kind of a recruiting event rather than just an, uh, an exposition. And companies can go there to fill in internships and job positions. There are lots of different workshops, so that is growing as well. The ladies who run it have sh said that their mission has changed and evolved a little bit to help move the students and, you know, people who are interested into those positions. Among the 50 businesses who attended, um, there were 10 panelists from all areas of aviation, including corporate, fractional general ownership, airlines, aerospace engineering, airport management, dispatch, and more. A very common thing is for ladies to say, and this is no different here, um, when we start our flying careers, there are often aren't very many women in the area. So sometimes you could be the only lady at an airport. So it's, re it's really amazing um, to see all these women sort of come out of the woodwork, as it were. I think that's it for our news. Hey, do you want to hear about some events? I sure do. I thought you might. So our first event is going to be the grand opening of the Amelia Earhart Hangar Museum in Atchison, Kansas. That event is going to take place Friday, April 14th at noon at the Atchison Airport. This is the grand opening of the museum, and according to Smithsonian Magazine, it is one of the most anticipated museum openings of 2023. At the event, they will have a ribbon cutting as well as 14 interactive and immersive STEM exhibits to take visitors through Earhart's adventurous life. So what do you need to know about this little event? So the ceremony is open to the public. Uh, they are asking for RSVPs just for decision-making purposes leading up to the ceremony itself as well as any pilots who are planning to fly into the event to assure proper staffing. As far as purchasing tickets to the museum itself or making a reservation uh, to accommodate all visitors, the tickets will be available on arrival at the museum and they're not taking reservations for the actual entry into the museum. So be sure to check out more information on that event on their website if you are interested in attending. <laughs> the very next day, if you want to make a long cross country after being in Kansas, you can head on to Purdue University Airport where their Aviation Day is back. That event will take place on April 15th from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. They will have a pancake breakfast because we haven't talked about those in some time. Ooh. Right? You can also Missed meet other... those. 
You can meet other aviation enthusiasts, chat with students at the university, and tour planes from airliners to vintage warbirds. More information on that event is available at purdueaviationday.com. So that's all the events we have in the hopper for this episode, but if you have an event that you'd like us to feature on a future episode, be sure to reach out to us on our social media or at flymidwestpodcast at gmail.com. Well, is that about do it for news and events? It sure does. Wow. Well, on this episode, we are happy to bring you Sporty's president, John Zimmerman. Now, John has been gracious enough to join us on our podcast away from his busy schedule. John not only is the man running the show over at Sporty's, but he also hosts his own podcast through Sporty's called Pilot's Discretion. So we're incredibly happy to have John along, and he's going to chat with us all about the history of Sporty's, his involvement with the company, and what they've got coming up in the future. Welcome, John, to the Flying Midwest Podcast. John, we're so excited to have you with us on the Flying Midwest Podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to come and chat with us tonight. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, like with any guests, we are going to start you off with these rapid-fire questions for you. It's just meant to kind of get us all warmed up. There's no right or wrong answer, even though it may seem like we're judging you a little bit. Your answers will be safe. All right, so are you ready to get started with these rapid-fire questions? I am ready. All right. Question number one. Favorite air show venue? Hard to beat Oshkosh. That may be cliche, but there's no place like Oshkosh uh, on a summer day. I that agree. Is a fantastic answer, especially because it's in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question number two. Now, I've, I understand you've probably flown a lot of different types of aircraft, but what would be your dream aircraft to fly? Now, you don't have to own it because that comes with all kinds of responsibility and upkeep, but you could fly any plane in the world. What would it be? Wow, that list is so long. Uh, if I'm <laughs> if I'm really dreaming here and I can absolutely go anywhere, I mean, I'm fascinated by the SR-71, and I would absolutely do anything to get an hour of that airplane. Every time I go to the Air and Space Museum and look at that thing, I just, my jaw drops. So <laughs> if you're paying for the fuel bill, I'm flying it. Okay. <laughs> I don't have that kind of cash, but maybe Maddie can scrape something up on her CFI budget over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll get you hooked up. The other thing that our listeners can't see because this is an audio-only format is, as you said, SR-71, Maddie and I are nodding yes in unison, like perfectly <laughs> synced. <laughs> Question number three, because not everything can be sunshine and rainbows. Uh, what is your least favorite aviation movie? Uh, boy, I'm going to upset some people. I'm not sure if you call it an aviation movie, but Con Air. I have some people who think Con, Con Air was a great movie, and I think it was an absolute waste of two hours of my life. So, <laughs> so sorry, Con Air fans. No, it. If that is not my favorite Nicolas Cage movie. And I'm not a huge Nicolas Cage fan to begin with. Um, I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. Let's be honest, he doesn't listen. Uh, <laughs> not a huge fan. Most memorable passenger. Wow. I've had the fortune of flying with some great ones. I do remember I once took for a helicopter ride a pilot. He was an older gentleman, but he had flown um, the, I think the F-104, either the F-100 or F-104, one of the Century Series fighters in Vietnam era. And I took him for a helicopter ride, and I'll never forget, when we came into land, it was a somewhat confined area, so we were down to about 20 knots of airspeed coming into land. And he looked down at the airspeed indicator, and he said, I'd be dead right now in the F-104. VREF was 175 knots. And I'll never forget the look on his face looking at that airspeed indicator. He was just a fascinating guy. So I've had a lot of great ones, but I'll, I'll always remember that one. That's funny. <laughs> that is funny. 
All right, and probably my favorite question on these rapid fire questions. If you could chat with any person in aviation, dead or alive, who would it be? Wow, that's a great question. I am tempted to go historical. I'm, I mean, I'm tempted to say Charles Lindbergh. I know that's cliche, but I, I would love to have talked to the Charles Lindbergh, you know, two days after he landed in Paris, not 20 years later. I'd yeah. love to just have gotten the full debrief of what was it like over the North Atlantic all by yourself in that airplane. I, I Lots has been written on that. He obviously wrote lots on it, but the in the moment debrief of that flight to me would be absolutely epic. Not only do I love just the general answer of Charles Lindbergh, but two days after that flight or right after that flight, Charles Lindbergh, and just how much excitement must have still been, like just the raw feelings of it. That's exactly the word I had in my raw. I mean, it's, it's, we all take it for granted now because it worked out, but you yeah. go back and try to put yourself in the mind of a pilot in that era and holy cow, the, the, the risk, the challenge of what he pulled off, just the human physical endurance yeah. is still amazing to me. So I would, I would love to have that conversation. I think of all the times we've done that, that is not my favorite answer. <laughs> yeah, that's I definitely that. up there. Thank you for playing along with our rapid fire series of questions for you tonight. My pleasure. I suppose without further ado, we can get into like the real meat and potatoes of the episode, huh? All right, John. So uh, what's your background in aviation? How'd you get started? Well, I guess I grew up in aviation. Uh, my dad was a pilot, not an airline pilot, just a GA pilot. Uh, but I grew up, spent a lot of time in the back of small airplanes. So I've got memories of flying around in the back of a Seneca with my three brothers so I guess in that sense, aviation was kind of always a part of my life growing up. Again, not not in the business or anything, but I just uh, knew small airplanes were a thing and they were fascinating to me. So when I was uh, 15, I remember driving with my dad to the airport one day just to help him, you know, kick around the hangar and hang out. And he said, hey, you know, if you ever want to take a flying lesson, let me know. It could be fun. And it sounds crazy, but I had never actually considered that could be a thing. <laughs> you, oh, think, yeah. you know. So I did that. I took a lesson. I thought, you know, oh, that would be fun to, you know, go to school Monday and tell all my buddies that I took a flying lesson. But I really didn't think it would go anywhere. I just didn't didn't sense it was anything other than kind of a fun afternoon. But I took the lesson and I loved it. It wasn't that, you know, I think sometimes we overstate the whole, oh, I, I knew the minute the wheels left the runway, it was destiny. I don't remember that feeling, but I remember thinking this was a pretty special atmosphere, this whole airport pilot community airplanes. I remember thinking it was a pretty grown-up thing, too, that this was a place where even though I was 15, I could do what those adults were doing, or at least try. So I did the classic solo at 16, private at 17. Uh, that It was not as straight a line as that might suggest. You know, moving through multiple instructors, bad weather, maintenance issues, had some, some breaks in training, so it definitely wasn't uh, quick. But got my license and honestly never looked back. So where'd you learn to fly it? I learned to fly at Lunkin Airport in Cincinnati, Ohio. Sunken Lunkin, as we call it. Uh, <laughs> great, great historic airport. And learned to fly there in kind of your classic flight school experience. A bit of a mishmash of airplanes, 172s, 152s, uh, skippers, sundowners. There was an Aero 4. And, uh, you know, I was definitely, I was intimidated there as a, as a teenager. Uh, but it, it was a great place to fly. And learning to fly at Lunkin, I got real good with ATC early on. This is something oh, I, sure. pre I appreciate now, but, you know, I was terrifying on my first few solos. But you had no choice but to get used to talking to ATC. So really enjoyed learning to fly at Lunkin and later realized kind of what a historic airport it is. You know, American Airlines was founded there. Embry-Riddle was founded there. 
great history there. So it was a neat place to learn. So where'd you go with the aviation after you uh, got done with school? Well, I you know I learned to fly in high school and uh, really enjoyed that. Definitely, it kept my grades up and everything. But I didn't really think that was going to be my career. And so I went to college and and stayed somewhat active. I joined a flying club in college and and got to fly some Warriors, and that was fun. But I really never considered flying realistically as a career. I thought I was going to go to business or law school or something like that. And uh, I remember after interning for a summer at a non-aviation job and then just kind of starting to really get serious about my sophomore year of college, I thought, well, I kind of need to figure out what it is going to be I do. Um, And I took a summer job at Sporties in Cincinnati, the big retailer and flight school, because I had flown to Sporties a lot as a high schooler. You know, they were the next airport over, so I'd fly over there and have a hot dog on Saturdays. I knew of them, and it looked like a fun place. And honestly, I was just looking for a summer job where I could hang around airplanes. I knew I liked aviation. I knew I hated my last summer job, and I wanted something that was around airplanes. So they hired me, and uh, my first job was digging a ditch, literally. (laughs) (laughs) And my second job was pumping gas at the FBO, which I actually loved. Uh, It was a great way to meet pilots, improve your plane spotting skills. Uh So I did that for a summer and really liked it. I just liked hanging out at the airport. And I went back and did that the next summer and got to work in the marketing department, uh, and the web department. So it accidentally became great on the job training because I learned all kinds of skills that I was never going to learn in college. I learned how to do some basic, you know, HTML and web development. And this was in the very early 2000s when that was kind of a a new thing. So after my last summer there, they offered me a full-time job out of college. uh, And I thought, well, that's really nice, but, you know, I'm not going to do that because that's not my plan. I'm going to go do this other thing. And about... Uh, halfway through my senior year in college, I thought, why am I so set on this other idea that I don't really like? So uh, I went to work at Sporties after college, and still I thought, you know, I'll do this for a couple years and then I'll go get a, quote, real job. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, 24 years later, I'm still there, and I assure you it's a real job, and it's a lot of fun. And so in that sense, I've really never left aviation. I just made part of my job aviation. It's the perfect mix for me because I get to fly a lot as a part of my job, but I don't have okay. to fly for my job. If the weather's terrible today, I don't have to go take that flight, uh, which obviously a lot of people do who are pro pilots, and they do it well. But uh-huh. uh, it, to me, it's the great mix. I get to fly, but I get to fly mostly when it's the right answer or when it's fun and, and don't have to force it as much. So That's quite a, a stretch of time you've been there then. Yeah, it's the only real job I've had, which is what I, what I joke. Uh, so I always said I'd never go get a real job, and it turns out it's the only one I've had. It's great. We've got we've got a great, great team. We've got, I think I looked the other day, we have 33 people at Sporties who have been there 30-plus years. I am not. So I am by no means the longest-time person there, not even close. Uh, and it's a great group. It's like a family business without the family drama. And just a whole bunch of people who love aviation and get to go to work on the airport every day. Uh, and it's just been a fun part for me. I get to be involved in, you know, new product development. I get to be involved in running the flight school, an avionics shop, airport management. There's just all these different elements to aviation that makes it really fun. There's, you know, there's no two days that are alike. And so for somebody like me who just loves airplanes and loves pilots, it's a great way to basically just swim in that pool all day, every day. I'm insanely jealous to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that everyone listening has likely heard of Sporties, and if they haven't, I'm, I can't imagine what aviation rock they're living underneath. But what can you tell us about like the history of Sporties, like how it came to be and how it grew into like this huge company that it is today? It's a great American story. It really is. It sounds like it's out of the storybook, but it's it's absolutely true. 
Uh, Sporties was founded in 1961 by Hal Shevers. He was a flight instructor. And it was literally founded, his first warehouse was the trunk of his Studebaker. Oh, wow. Uh, he, he was a flight instructor, and he was an engineer with a day job. And he was doing some flight instruction, and he thought that there was an angle to sell pilots some products that they didn't have. And it started out with a radio. He had a real tone radio that was slightly modified so it would pick up aviation transmissions. And Hal started selling radios. I think probably his first sale was at the at the bar at, at Lunkin Airport there in the terminal building. Uh, and, you know, the warehouse was a Studebaker, and then he took an ad and some magazines, and then the catalog came. And after a little while, he opened up a store there in the terminal at Lunkin, and then kind of took off from there. It was growing, so he opened up a bigger store across the street from Lunkin. And then the early 70s moved out to Claremont County, our current uh, location, uh, and just grew from there uh, and grew really through multiple, you know, parts of, of the business history of America. You know, there was the mail order catalog era. There was the 800 era. There's the Internet era. And Sporties has really kind of been a part of all that. So in a way, I think Sporties has changed dramatically over the last 60 plus years. But in a way, it's really the same, which is we're all pilots and we love it. And we just want to help other pilots learn to fly and have fun and be safe. And that sounds really simple. It's it's obviously harder than that behind the scenes, but I think those values really matter because we're, you know, we're not owned by some big conglomerate. We're not, you know, in it to try to make a fast buck. We really feel like we're stewards of a great brand and a great organization. And it's really all about making this thing we love last for another 60 years. Anybody who's been around Sporties, I think you probably feel that we really, we really care deeply about this industry. We care about pilots because we are pilots. Uh-huh. And so in, in many ways, we really haven't changed all that much from the, the trunk of house Studebaker. It's the same philosophy, just a much bigger warehouse. What is the biggest thing that you guys have going right now? Is it the training aspect? Is it just the pilot supply? Or am I way off base with both of those? Uh, no, those are both real strong parts of our business, but training is probably the biggest. Uh, you know, training is is red hot right now, as anybody knows. Airline pilot hiring boom is in full effect. Uh, there's really a generational changeover coming with the airlines and, and even with a a lot of other operators like the fractionals. So there's a whole new generation of pilots learning to fly right now. And uh, we're really excited to be part of that because training is a huge part of what we do. You know, as I said, Hal was a flight instructor yep. and he really invented the first three-day ground school back in the 60s. He'd travel all around the country, run a hotel room, a conference room, and teach you to, you know, get ready for your written test in three days. You know, he went from there with slides to VHS tapes to DVDs to online. Now we do our, our own custom learning management system. So we develop courses for online, iOS app, Android apps, smart TVs, CarPlay, you name it. And we've invested a ton of effort over the last decade in that because it's really who we are. We're, we're a flight training organization. We run a flight school. And so that's who we are. It's, it's a business we've always been in, but the last five years or so with so much flight training going on, uh, that's been really strong. And it's been something we're really passionate about because we are absolutely believers in a rising tide lifting all boats. You know, it just, if more people fly, it's better for everybody. And, sure. and that's uh, really what we've been focusing on. It's an exciting time, I think. Like I said, I've been at Sporties 24 years. And the first part of that, you know, general aviation was, was struggling. And especially post-2008, you know, it was a real dip there. But there's some new energy. Yes, the airline pilot hiring is part of it. Uh, and that's big, but there's also just a lot of enthusiasts. You know, there's the backcountry part of it that's hot right now. There's just a lot of, a lot of excitement with YouTubers. You know, talking about the the joy and the challenge of GA flying. So I just think there's a lot of good energy right now in, yeah. in GA, and we're 
excited to help in any possible way because that's better for everybody. I've noticed too that like this, the YouTube space right now has just got huge in aviation. I mean, even to the point where I, I look at the sporties materials and just seeing the different products that you guys have available for filling in your aircraft. Yeah, it's a great way to share that passion. I think YouTube has been transformational for a lot of industries, I think, but I got to believe aviation's up there, maybe top 10. Flying is such a hard thing to share, right? You go out on a flight and you fly somewhere and you have a great experience. If a person wasn't there with you, it's really hard to explain why it was so great. You know, yeah. why were you gone for five hours? Say, I was, you know, <laughs> you should have seen the sunrise or if you could have seen, you know, the lake shores we flew over or this great grass strip we flew into or this community of pilots we met for flying breakfast. You know, you can talk about it, but it's really hard for that to come alive and for people to create an emotional connection with that. And I think videos... Uh, really make that much easier to share. And certainly the tools now with the quality of the cameras and you know, the easy editing and, and all I the love. things we have now, I just think it makes it much easier to share that excitement. And I think it has kind of a flywheel effect because as you share that, people realize, oh, maybe, you know, maybe it's not so weird. That does look pretty fun. Maybe I should get into that. And so there's a bit of a momentum sense there that I think is really helpful. And yeah, you want to be safe. I always remind people who are or new to it, you want to, you, you can film or you can fly. It's pretty hard to do both full time. Yeah. So, you know, I would caveat it there with, uh, you know, be careful and have a plan and probably have a co-pilot the first few times you're doing it. But it's great content. It's inspirational. Uh, I think it's it's good for pilots in general because it, it finally tells the story of why we're so in love with what we do. Yeah, for sure. I know this isn't part of our rapid fire stuff, but do you have a favorite YouTuber that you follow right now? Oh gosh, there are a bunch of good ones. I mean, all all the big guys do great work. I mean, Flight Shops, I've yep. flown with him before, got to do an episode with him. Uh, he's great. Steve's a great guy. I tell you one who's underrated. I'm a big fan of uh, J.P. Schultz. He's uh goes uh, the Candorist on YouTube. Yes, yeah. And he's a great guy. I've got to fly with him too. He flew around the world uh, in a 210 a few years back. And this past summer, he flew from, I think, South Africa to Oshkosh. Okay. In an airplane he built uh, the the month before. I'm going to have to uh, watch that series. Yeah, he's just released a couple episodes. He's I think he's a great underrated. He, he's got some great stuff, really amazing, uh, you know, filmmaking skills. I mean, these are not just oh, yeah. a couple of GoPro clips. But there's but there's a lot of good stuff out there. You know, I, I would say for people who are just getting into it, you know, check out those big guys. They're great. You know, the flight chops of the, the world, they're fantastic. But go deeper because there's some niche people out there who really do great work. There's so much to learn there uh, and, and so much inspiration to take. The only thing I'd say on YouTube is, while it's fantastic content in general and really inspirational, I'd be careful about taking flight instruction from YouTube. And Maddie, you probably agree on this one. You know, there's some great instructional stuff there and there's some terrible instructional stuff yeah. there. So uh, I think the good YouTubers always say that, hey, this is not instruction, you know, talk to your CFI. And I would just reiterate that, that, uh, you know, if something looks fun and exciting, that's awesome, but go talk to somebody before you do something for the first time. You, you do not want to watch, you know, a video about aerobatics and go decide you're going to teach yourself aerobatics. So just, that's my one little wet blanket on the joy that is aviation YouTube. Yep. I don't even think that's that big of a wet blanket. I think that's just, just good sound advice. Yes. You don't know what you don't know, especially as a student pilot and the stuff on YouTube. A lot of it's great. I have a lot of YouTubers that I recommend to my students simply for the one fact that I know they're, they're going to be on there 
and I want them to go to the good people and not the people who are like, yeah. hey, let's do fun stuff and break a bunch of laws. <laughs> like, no thanks. Please don't I, teach my students things. Yeah, I think to me it's the start. It can be an, a way to brainstorm ideas. It can be a way to get inspired, but it should always be confirmed in person. So uh, hopefully, and you know, I mean, this goes to something else. I think that's great advice for a new pilot is have some type of mentor in aviation. Maybe that's your flight instructor. Maybe that's a friend of yours who's a pilot. Uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily an instructional thing, but I think it's great to have somebody you can bounce stuff off of like that. I mean, I know uh, when I learned to fly helicopters about 10 years ago, I was in a whole new world and I had, you know, a couple thousand hours in airplanes, but I didn't know the first thing about helicopters. And it was so valuable to have a mentor in that world who I could just run things by, you know, shoot him a text. Hey, I think this, am I crazy? And you know, half the time he'd say, yeah, you are. That's absolutely wrong. <laughs> Don't do that. So uh, I do think that's that's overlooked by some people when they get started out, especially find some mentor, even if it just means hanging around the airport uh, on a weekend and striking up a conversation. I think that's super helpful. I think we have that same effect with our podcast where we'll talk about something and maybe people will talk about it later and go, oh no, that is a terrible idea. Don't listen to those guys. Hey, we, we put disclaimers every once in a while. Yeah, we do. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And I got to ask you, how do you go from having a summer job at Sporties to now being the president of Sporties? Like, how does that progression work? You work a lot of different jobs. I'll, I'll tell you this. So the, the secret at Sporties, to the extent there's a secret, is be a pilot and love aviation. And there's no there's no substitute for that, right? We're We're all a bunch of pilots. So that's a great place to start. I mentioned some of those, you know, summer jobs I did in college, and that, that in a way was great. We do at Sporties, we promote from within a lot. I mentioned those, you know, 30 plus people who've been there 30 years or more. Yeah. What was great to me coming up is learning lots of different roles. So I got to learn marketing. I got to learn some product development. I got to work in the web department and learn some basic web coding stuff. Uh, I, I got to do a lot of different jobs, and that kind of on-the-job training is just invaluable. So I'm a big believer in more generalists, fewer specialists. We got lots of specialists in the world and that's great, but you need some generalists too who can kind of move between skills. And so that's one of the favorite parts of my job is I can be talking about product development one minute and talking about details of a you know paid search marketing strategy the next minute. And we can be talking about a flight school uh, curriculum issue the next. And uh, I think that's really, it's fun. It's, it's exciting, but it's also a great way to learn a business from all the different directions. So I definitely had the chance to do that and uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. So I don't imagine there's like a specific like day in the life of the president of Sporties, but how would you describe what you do with Sporties as a president? A little bit of everything. It's probably cliche, but uh, we wear a lot of different hats at Sporties. Again, that's part of the fun of it. Um, I, you know, I'm a pilot. I, I'm passionate about flying. So I try to stay focused on that as much as possible. Yeah, you got to get into the business of business and there's you know, finance and legal stuff that inevitably pulls you away. But I try to minimize that as much as we can. We got great people that watch that. So today's a great example. You know, we're working on some new product development. And the number one way we like to test new products is to go flying with it. There's no focus group we're going to do. We're going to give it to pilots and fly with it. And today was my turn. So I got to take a product up in a Satabria and try it out. You know, we what we call the dumb pilot test. Here's the, here's the <laughs> widget. There's no instruction manual go use it in the real world and see how it works. So uh, that was great. I got to fly, I got to test some stuff. I uh, got to come back and type up some notes on that, uh, which is really fun. But it, then again, 
you know, that afternoon, uh, I'm talking about online marketing strategies. And so I've moved from the product to the marketing world. This morning, we were shooting some video for a YouTube thing. So it's a little bit of everything. We try to stay focused on the product because at the end of the day, that's what counts, right? Our, our job is to make flying safer, easier, more fun. We do that by creating products that are helpful and, and useful for pilots. And so we try to always come back to the product because we could try to wow you with a great marketing program and that's good. But at the end of the day, we want to have the best products. And that sounds simple, but as anybody who's in that business knows, it takes a lot of work. So uh, when in doubt, I like to always get my hands dirty on products, whether it's a new training course we're working on with our online platform or a new flight bag we're creating or some new portable avionics we're working on. That's the most fun and that's the most important part, I think, of what we do. I think in the world of aviation, it's so small in general. Everybody talks. And if you have the best thing, it doesn't matter what your advertising is like. The advertising is in the people who have gotten the thing and are now talking about the thing and getting their friends to buy the thing because it'll work great in their airplane because it's worked great in their airplane. So that's how it spreads in aviation, I think. Quality right. still does matter. I could not agree more. I could <laughs> not agree more. Anytime we talk about marketing, we always talk about, you know, what is it the catalog? Is it paid search? Is it social media? It's, it's word of mouth, number one. There's, it, I think that's true in almost any industry, but especially in aviation, as you okay. said, Maddie. It's, there is no substitute for word of mouth. And the only answer there is to make a better product. We're always doing that, right? You know, we, we made our PJ2 radio a few years ago, and it was, a, it was what pilots wanted. They said, give me a backup radio that has headset plugs built right in, so I don't need an adapter. Like, what? That's a valid point. Let's go make that. And we made yeah. it. And then we got some more feedback of, hey, it's really great, but I wish it did this and this. So we came out with a PJ2 Plus. We're kind of, you know, we do that with our courses. Every every year we're shipping 20, 30 new features on our courses because you really do have to give pilots the products that they want. And if you don't, they're going to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do, they're going to let their friends know. So uh, <laughs> in that sense, it, the system works exactly the way it's supposed to work because we're incentivized to make better products and we don't bat a thousand, but we try really, really hard. And I think uh, we're pretty successful because we do, A, we're pilots. So we know, you know, we know if a product's going to satisfy pilots for the most part, but we yeah. also listen. Again, that's simple, but it's pretty powerful. If you make products people like and it solves their problems, it goes a long way. I don't know. That's good Midwestern work ethic right there, isn't it? Right. That's go. what it's all about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Make a good product. Be honest. It sounds so boring, but. Boy, it's pretty timeless. Yeah. Yeah. It clearly has worked for you guys for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fun with it. That's part of the key too. You know, if, yeah, uh, there you go. if you're in it for the fun, if you're in it because you care about it, it's not about, you know, doing the math to the third decimal point of how do we maximize every penny out of everything. Really, if you're in an industry because you love it and you want to see it succeed, that's also a great motivation. So. so I know you wear a lot of hats at Sporties and what you do. What has been either your favorite part of your job or your favorite job that you've had within Sporties over the years? Oh, gosh. Great question. There's a, there's a lot of fun ones. I, I've really enjoyed working with our course development team, you know, the team that puts together the, the online ground schools, the apps and everything, because that's a product we've built absolutely from the ground up. You know, we do everything from the scripting to shooting the video, creating the graphics and animations. We write the apps. The apps are 100% custom. The learning management system behind the scenes is 100% custom. So that's obviously been a ton of work from a lot of different people. Uh, majority of it, definitely not me. 
but just being involved with that team uh, at a lot of different levels, whether it's writing a script or going up on a video shoot or uh, helping debug some software, it's really fun to build something from the ground up. There's just nothing, and I think anybody who's done this knows this feeling, right? There's just no substitute for starting with nothing and really putting your heart into it and seeing it, you know, sometimes years later come out the way you hoped. It's so rewarding. And then on top of that, the fact that it's a product that helps people learn to fly and in a lot of cases chase their dreams or make an important change in life, it's being put to a good end. You know, we're not just finding ways to squeeze money out of something. So that's been really, really exciting and rewarding for me. We have an awesome team that works on those courses uh, and working with those guys, definitely a highlight. That's awesome. And I imagine that that is a lot of work building those things from the ground up too. So as a consumer of those products, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for using them. We, we, we couldn't do it if you all weren't out there. So so before we started recording, we talked a little bit about the podcast, but you also mentioned some things that I, I want to go back on that I didn't necessarily have in my notes originally about like some of the blogging and other types of things you guys were putting out before the podcast. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that, like kind of how that all came to be and how it's progressed for you guys? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge part of our business now, and uh, I guess it kind of mirrors my career story in a way. I'd love <laughs> to tell you we sat down one day in 2010 and made this strategic plan that we're going to get into you know content and uh, blogs and newsletters and videos and podcasts and all that, but we really didn't. It started in 2010 for the most part with we got a bunch of questions about this iPad thing that was coming out, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and people... People have been trying to get, you know, digital charts for years. They had, you know, they were Kindles. They were trying to do it. And these big $3,000 tablets that had like 20-minute battery life. And finally, the iPad came out. And we started getting all these questions about, can I use my iPad for flying? And, you know, how do I do it? Is it legal? And how do I charge it? And after answering those same questions about 100 times in a month, we realized, boy, there's, there's a real interest from pilots here. And there's a real need for information. And there's nothing out there for it. You know, the mainstream uh, tech press is not going to cover this. It's way too niche. Yeah. Uh, but we were fine with the iPad. We loved it because we've been looking for this too. And so we started a newsletter uh, called iPad Pilot News, which still runs to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just took off. We did it as an email newsletter. And then after uh, maybe a year, it became a website. About the same time, we started Airfax, which is a reboot online of a print magazine that was founded in 1938. Richard Collins, legendary yep. writer, guy yep. I got to work with for years before he passed away. He said, hey, I think you should bring back Airfax online. And we thought, said, that's crazy. Why would we do that? And he said, well, I think, it, I think it'd be really good. And uh, we did it and he was right. And so that just got us started. And since then we've launched some other blogs. We have Flight Training Central. We have Flight Sim Update. Uh, we do 120, 130 YouTube videos a year got a podcast called Pilot's Discretion. And it's just, it's become a huge part of what we do. And yeah, I guess you could call it marketing in a sense, but it's mostly back to those good old fashioned habits of caring about your customers and trying to solve their problems or answer their questions, or just inspire them with the interest that we all care about so much. You know, you're, you're in Minnesota, sometimes in the wintertime, you can't fly for a couple weeks, right? Mother yep. Nature has other ideas. And uh, that's where hopefully we can play some role. Maybe keeping your head in the game a little bit. You can't fly, but you can you can brush up on your skills. You can stay interested. So 
uh, we we devote an awful lot of time to that. If it helps with the marketing, that's great. If it helps people learn about sporties, that's great. But honestly, we, we started it and we keep doing it basically to have a conversation with our customers. What was it like working with and talking with Richard Collins? Uh, it was an absolute blast. Maybe the highlight of my career to date. The guy was everything you think, you know, absolutely encyclopedic knowledge. Any any airplane anywhere, he had a story, including Concorde. You know, he'd be talking about Concorde. Oh, yeah, I flew that back from... <laughs> I mean, literally, he had like he had like eight flights on the Concorde or something. He was really huh. good friends with the chief Concorde pilot at British Airways for a while. So for 50 years in aviation, he knew everybody. He flew everything. He had been to every air show. He knew where, you know, all the secrets were. Just a fascinating guy. But for all of his kind of curmudgeonly air and, and people, I think, sometimes thought he was kind of arrogant or curmudgeonly, he was a, he was a surprisingly humble guy. And he really was, you know, I, I helped uh, him publish one of his last books called The Next Hour, which is absolutely like unlocking the mind of, of a great pilot and writer. And his whole point with that is it's it's only the next hour that counts. You know, and people would always say, how many hours do you have? Oh, 20,000 hours. And by the way, 19,900 of them in single engine piston airplanes, uh, single pilot, a lot of it in, in, you know, IFR weather. And he'd say, but it doesn't matter. It's only the next hour that counts. You know, Mother Nature doesn't care how many hours you have. Yeah. You know, the, the mountain out there hiding in the dark does not care how many hours. It doesn't care it's your Richard Collins. And uh, it's obviously true, but coming from a guy like that, it's it just was a great lesson to me in staying humble as a pilot because it really doesn't matter what your experience is. It is the next hour that counts. So uh, lessons like that just were, I mean, it's great to listen to the stories because he had great ones. Uh, but it was always backed by some pretty good lessons. So I hope I've retained maybe a tenth of those. But uh, uh, for anybody looking into inside that shameless plug, that book, The Next Hour, is a great insight into his mind. And uh, some of it's a little non-traditional, but uh, he certainly backed it up. And fascinating, fascinating guy. I don't think there'll ever be another one like him. You know, we after he passed away, we sat around thinking, well, who's the next Dick Collins, you know? And I just don't think there'll ever be another one. I think they broke the mold on him. To a certain extent, the the media world is different today. It's, you know, yeah. the next Dick Collins is somebody on YouTube, not somebody writing for a magazine probably. Right, right. Uh, but he was a fascinating guy, and it was absolutely highlight in my career working with him. I know that we asked that question, who would you want to meet and talk to, dead or alive? But, and it's not my turn to answer, but <laughs> <laughs> he, he'd be on my list um, if I had to, you know, make a short list of people I would want to have a conversation with for a lot of the things that you talked about just the amazing amount of knowledge that that man must have. Yeah, it was fun for me because I grew up reading him too. Yeah, I can remember being a 15-year-old student pilot and reading Flying Magazine and always turning to his column because it just seemed like magic. You know, I flew the P-210 from, you know, Maryland to California. How do you do that? That sounds incredible to me. And then, uh, you know, getting to work with him was, so it's kind of full circle. It was great. So I want to bring up the podcast now. So you guys have been doing that for about two years now? That's Pilot's right. Discretion. Yep. How did that come to be for you guys? In a sense, I guess it was a continuation of that previous conversation we had about, you know, the the blogs, the newsletters, the videos. We just want to be where pilots are and we want to be in, in that conversation. And some pilots, you know, they love to read it. Some pilots, they went at their email inbox. Some pilots, it's on YouTube. And increasingly, as you all know, some pilots, it's in a podcast. We didn't want to get in and just do a podcast to do a podcast. We felt like we wanted to have kind of a unique angle on it because there's lots of great podcasts out there. Um, but a couple of years ago, we felt like we really had an idea to do it right. 
And we jumped in and we sort of said, well, hey, we'll, we'll see what we see here. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and it was great. The response was fantastic out of the gate. But even more than that, we've just had a blast doing it. I think you all know this. It's it's just, it's so fun to meet and talk to a variety of interesting people. I think one of the most underappreciated things about aviation is that sometimes it's the only thing that ties together very diverse people. You know, I, I to me, Oshkosh is a great example of this. You can be standing there on the flight line in Oshkosh, and you can be talking to two other people who share nothing in common. You know, what <laughs> they do for a living, yeah. where they're from, what language they speak, but they are brought together by that love of aviation. And it, I mean, that sounds cliche, but it's true. It's its right there in front of you. You think the only thing these two people have in common is aviation. And so part of what we try to do on Pilot's Discretion is celebrate that and and talk to a diverse array of people. So we talk to, you know, astronauts and YouTubers and authors and, you know, physicists and everything in between. And aviation is the connective thread there for sure. And we always talk airplanes, but I always like getting the, the full view of the person because it's always fascinating to me, the diverse and interesting group of people that's involved in aviation. Just getting that full picture uh, I think is 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 really fun. There's always something to learn. I think there's always something to learn from pilots, depending on their background, the perspective of somebody who is a you know musician versus a physicist is going to be very different. Uh, and there's something to learn from both of those. So it's been a great experience, and certainly fits naturally in with a lot of the other stuff we do around articles and newsletters and videos. When you guys started the podcast, did you see yourself as being the host, or did that just kind of fall into your lap? I kind of got voluntold, if you've been in that. <laughs> uh, we had a group of uh, five or six of us talking about it, and we we're, you know, kicking around ideas for the format and the frequency, and is this, you know, how is it going to be guests? How are we going to do it? And we sort of started coalescing around an idea. I remember somebody sitting in the room said, well, I don't know if it's my place to say this, but I think you got to be the one that does it. So you're the host. Congratulations. <laughs> awesome. Today we do podcast hosting. So I'll, uh, I'll go Google that, but I I've really enjoyed it. It's been a blast. I mean, you, you guys know how this is. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I like, I do a lot of writing too. I, I write for Airfax and that's fun, but that's sort of a, a different outlet. You know, it's in a way sort of a solitary thing. You got to collect yeah. your thoughts. It's requires some discipline. Podcasting requires its own discipline, but I just think it's a really interesting, interactive way to connect with the wider aviation community that's always fascinating. And, you know, people ask us sometimes, well, you ever worry you're going to run out of guest ideas? No, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? There's, you know, thousands and thousands of fascinating pilots out there. So I could, if I had the time, I could do a podcast today and not run out of people. What direction do you think that your podcast will go in the future? You're going to keep the same format, or are there other things you're looking at doing? Or yeah, I think we'll keep the same format uh, at least for for a while. It's working. You know, the the reaction's great. We're having fun with it. Uh, we talk about doing some different things. We talk about doing spinoff podcasts or maybe short run. You know, five, ten episode limited run seasons. So we've had some conversations about things like that on focused topics, but. Um, you know, so far, every time we ask listeners kind of, you know, what do you want here? What do you want there? Would you like to see something different? What we typically hear is we love what you're doing. Keep getting interesting guests on there and, uh, and you know, keep at it. So, John, what are some things that you're working on for Sporties for the future? Great question. Um, we're still working a lot on the training stuff. I mean, I, I think the airline pilot hiring boom and just the general GA boom has a lot of legs in it. You just, you look at the 
the demographics of airline pilots, you look at the demand for private aviation, you look at the interest around backcountry flying, I think there's a lot of room left in uh, this kind of upcycle here. So we're working really hard on a lot of our training stuff. We're essentially reinventing the back end of how we deliver courses. This may not look exciting to the customer, but we're doing a ton of work behind the scenes uh, to basically build the next generation platform for our courses. We're doing a lot of work on flight instructor tools right now. We have a free flight instructor portal. Uh, any active flight instructor can get on, free FERC, free resources. You can connect with your students. And uh, we've delivered a lot of features there, but we have a lot more coming there. We're putting a lot of effort into that. So uh, I think you're going to see a lot of good stuff from us on the training courses side, both for pilots and for flight instructors. On the pilot supply side, we're always working on stuff. Uh, you know, our focus is really on the pilot more than the airplane. So uh, we focus on things like that. So portable avionics, you know, we've been uh, working a lot over the last decade on portable ADSB receivers like Stratus, Sentry. We came out last year with Sentry Plus, working with ForeFlight on that. Um, we do a lot in radios. I mentioned the PJ2 Plus uh, handheld comm radio we just came out with last year. You know, those are core areas for us that we're always working on new ideas in. Uh, radios, you know, that goes back to literally Sporty's first product. So uh, while it may seem like kind of a mature, boring category for a lot of people, that's close to our heart. And so I think we'll probably always be in the radio business. So we're always working on things there. Um, but we also, you know, we like to do little things. So, uh, you know, it's fun to get excited about the big stuff and the big new, you know, ADSB receiver that does everything and makes four flight come alive or whatever. But we also like to do the fun stuff, you know, I mean, little stuff, models, t-shirts, you know, the parts of that make flying fun and help you share that, you know, interest with people. So we're always working on those little things too. So we just launched recently, we always have a limited edition model every year. And for next year, for the first year, we're going to do it where it's a customer's airplane. So you can submit your airplane to be Sporty's model of the year. We do a limited edition run. Uh, and so that, that's just a little example of fun stuff that we're always trying to keep fresh, keep interesting, and, and get customers involved with. Yeah, we're uh, we're staying busy. Nobody's bored at Sporty's, that's for sure. Is there anything else that you want to cover with us that we haven't talked about? That A wise woman I once worked with who did a lot of work with authors said, if you ever read a book or you listen to podcasts for that matter, and you really, really enjoyed it, you should let the author or the content creator know. And you may think, oh, well, they're really famous and they get it all the time and they don't care. They might, but they might not. And you should probably let them know. And I've always thought that's great advice. And I've done that a few times in the years since I heard that, uh, including, you know, a book I read a couple years ago that I just absolutely loved. And I thought, I'm just going to get on the author's website and leave a note that says, thanks. I read it and I loved it and I appreciate all the work you put into it. And I got the nicest email back that just said, that really means a lot. And that's why I devoted two years of my life to writing the book. So thank you for telling me that. And I think more of us pilots, maybe especially us good Midwestern pilots, should do that more often because it's not hard to get on YouTube and see the comments devolve into a dumpster fire, right? Oh, yeah. But it's okay to get on there and say, hey, that was really good and I enjoyed it. And a little bit of that goes a long way. So if you listen to a podcast you like and they say, send us an email, send them an email. And if you watch a YouTube video and they say, you know, leave us a comment, well, leave a comment if you like it. I think that goes an awfully long way and uh, we could use a little bit more of that in life. So there's my public service announcement for the day. Well, you're going to get a comment next time I listen to your podcast. 
<laughs> <laughs> Only good one, though, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't say it was going to be a bad one. All right, I think it's time to ask you the question I'm sure that you've been dreading for the last hour. But uh, what is your unpopular aviation opinion, sir? Such a good question, and I have probably a lot. But I'm going to go with maybe a somewhat hot topic of the of the day, which is this debate between technology and stick and rudder skills, which, you know, oh, the, the glass cockpits or autopilots are ruining pilots or some variation of that. And I think that's garbage. I think that is a false choice. The idea that you can be good at the avionics or good at the stick and rudder flying is not correct. There's no reason you can't be good at both. And in fact, great pilots are good at both. And I actually think we need to introduce technology earlier in flight training. Not, I'm not saying use the autopilot on the first lesson. I'm not saying, you know, go heads down on, on lesson two, but too many pilots are afraid of the technology. And my analogy would be, if you have a swimming pool in the backyard, you could try to build a really big fence around it, or you could teach your kids to swim. And I think we should teach the kids to swim. So that's unpopular. I bet I get hate mail from people, but <laughs> I think in this day and age, especially if you're on an airline track, if you're gonna go fly for an airline, you are gonna be flying an airplane with some version of a glass cockpit and automation. It should never be a substitute for good manual flying skills but it should absolutely be a part of your training. So my unpopular opinion is it's not an either or. You can absolutely learn and be great with automation and technology and also be great with pushing the red button and hand flying it. As somebody who teaches in glass cockpits, gosh, I appreciate that statement. <laughs> I'm trying to do both. And then people are like, you're bad because you're teaching in glass cockpits. How dare you teach students the G1000? That's gross. They need to fly J3 Cub. It's it's just not it's just it's not just the way not, this world's you, going. No, and I fly tail draggers all the time. I love to fly a Satabria with the window open at 500 feet. No, nobody loves tail draggers and grass runways more than me. However, you know, I tell I tell people sometimes the G1000. It's 20 years old now. It's not like oh it's my not gosh, some new right. invention that <laughs> you know came around yesterday. It's 20 years old. There's a whole generation of pilots who have never gone a world without a G1000. So, at some point. We integrated the nose wheel into our training and not everybody learned to fly a tail dragger. And at some point we integrated the attitude indicator and not just needle ball and airspeed and we all survived. And so we do have <laughs> to move on. And I'll, I'll tie this back to Richard Collins, by the way, because as old school and curmudgeonly as you might think he was, he was a fan of technology appropriately used and appropriately trained on he was a fan. He was always flying with a new thing. He wanted to learn GPS approaches when they were new. He wanted data link weather when it was new. And that doesn't mean that you turn over your PIC responsibilities to it. But if Richard Collins can learn after 20,000 hours how to fly with data link weather and a new autopilot, I think we all can too. So, And by the way, some of those student pilots are attracted to GA in the first place by those fancy avionics. What I hope that someone out there gets out of this is maybe this total Yoda moment of, what if I told you you could do both? And they go, <laughs> oh, he's right. <laughs> you could be you could be a good stick and rudder pilot and know the technology. Ooh, amen. Wow, mind blown. <laughs> well, John, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast tonight and sharing a little bit about yourself, about sporties, and uh, some of the things coming up in the future. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. No, thank you for being here. Seriously, that was, <laughs> it's really cool to have you on. Yeah, everybody knows sporties, so it's 
it's cool to have, you know, a face to the, the company. So a huge thank you to John from Sporties for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure to hear from you about what's going on with the company, the history of Sporties for those who aren't familiar, and just where things are going with pilot training moving into the future. I thought one of the really good points he made was in his unpopular opinion about how the G1000 has been around for 20 years. And it's not exactly new technology anymore. Incredible, so right? Maybe we can embrace it a little bit more. That, and if if you're going to be handing the, these, I say kids, but if, you, if you're going to be handing the, these kids the keys to a jet for an airlines, there's going to be so much automation anyways, they're going to need to learn both. So I just thought that was a really um, solid point that he made. I agree. As somebody who... What on the surface is the, quote, child of the Magenta line. I've been turning out students who are so solid with pilotage, the DPEs are all impressed. So, and they fly G1000s. It's possible. Hey, Jim. Yes, Maddie. You know what would be super swell? What's that? Could you talk to us a little bit about our next episode? You know, I really would love to. We'll be chatting with Joe Check, who is part of Minnesota Aviation Career Education Camp. That is a group that has been around for about 30 years now, and they focus on highlighting various careers in aviation. It's a camp that is held every summer in the Twin Cities metropolitan area. And really what they do is they immerse um, high school teenage students on all types of aviation careers that are out there, not just being a pilot. So uh, their program is going to be coming up this summer. Their application deadline is April 17th, and Joe wants to tell you all about it in case you or someone you know is interested in Minnesota Ace Camp. I'm excited. I follow them on Instagram and I've seen some of their photos. It's pretty cool. So that'll be really cool to hear from him about what that program is all about and the different things they're able to bring to these kids. I love it. Fire merch. <laughs> We're just going to jump, jump right into it just shamelessly. Yep. Fire merch. Oh, yeah. We've got t-shirts. We've got stickers. We've got some mugs and cups. If you are interested in representing the Flying Midwest podcast for all of your cool aviation friends, they go, what's that? And you go, it's the greatest podcast ever. You should check it out. We'd appreciate it. Buy some merch. It helps support all the things that we do and helps us bring you the podcast. Follow us on all our social media. And if you have an idea or would like to be on the Flying Midwest podcast, you can message us on our Facebook or send us an email at flyingmidwestpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing, make sure that you jump on wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It helps us grow this podcast and get us out in front of other listeners. Until next time. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day. everyone and welcome to the flying midwest podcast i'm maddie, maddie. oh, oh my hi, god maddie. i cut you off all right i'm maddie you're maddie all right start over everyone's I cut you maddie off. everyone's maddie so in this episode of the flying midwest podcast i don't like that i had to say the name of the podcast again you're already listening you know what it is i don't mind you know it, what it though is. you know what you know what to do I, w- I like to get a good idea of what I'm talking about no, before fine. I talk about it. I I don't. I just make it up as I go. Yeah. Okay. The very next day, if you want to make a long cross country out of the whole mess, I shouldn't say the whole mess. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
There's too much going on. There's too many stupid. There. This is too many the podcast, stupid. But I, there's too many stupid. Speaking of duck. <laughs> you know, as long as we're talking about the military, let's talk about a new bar. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> bar. A new bar. That's what I said. That's not what I wanted <laughs> nice. to say. Nice. Now you're contributing. Ooh. Look at you go. I'm so at, proud of the growth that you've had. Look at me being a... <laughs> I am a contributing member of this there you go. podcast. Oh, this... Let's go. Perfect. Don't put that in the podcast. That sounds stupid. Fine. Then say something better, Maddie. Frick! <laughs> That's going in. <laughs> no. I suppose without further ado, we can get into like the real meat and potatoes of the episode, huh? And by that, I mean, I'm going to hit stop again, and we'll just pick it back up where we were before. <laughs> and no one will be any wiser. Sounds except great. Except if I put this in the bloopers at the end of the episode. <laughs> I, I think haven't you should. <laughs> You're not. So as a podcast consumer, um, what is your favorite podcast and why is it ours? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, totally kidding. Pi- pilots in Midwest. <laughs> so, I mean, it's obvious. It's in the title, basically. <laughs> We've got the whole package. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else that you want to cover at all with with sporties or anything you guys want to plug or not that we've I'm, got like I'm this great. huge listener base like sporties <laughs> does, but no, like the, I'm, the I'm 10 great. People I, that I, listen. <laughs> I enjoyed that very much, and I've made my pitch on technology, so I'll stop throwing grenades at people. <laughs> all right. Now that's Fair what enough. this section of the podcast is for. I we appreciate it. I told, Everybody I told Jim, loves I love, it. I love that question. I love it. You can head over to West Lafayette, Indiana, and go to the Petruchola. Wow. What were you even trying to say there? Purdue. There's no S in Purdue. Oh, I know. Okay. Stop laughing at me, Maddie. <laughs>